All right, I'm ready to jump into the message today. We are in a series entitled From the Cradle to the Grave, and in this series, we have been comparing the birth of Jesus with his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, there's no doubt that having a child is one of the most life-changing events that you can go through. Of all the things that can change your life, I think having a child changes it more than any other event that you can experience. There's a lot of steps that have to happen in order for you to have a child. There is going to be a moment when your wife comes home one day and says, hey, guess what? You are going to be a father. Now, if it was like me, Charity waited and surprised me on my birthday over tortilla chips at a Mexican restaurant with the staff, okay? That wasn't very nice because I was nervous about being a father anyways. She should have broke this news gently to me and allowed me to hear this at home so I could weep and cry and fall apart on my own uh, own time. But no, we have to do it over tortilla chips at the Mexican restaurant. We're sitting there eating. I'm having a good time. Our friends are there, the staff, the whole nine yards. And she looks at me and says, hey, you want your birthday present? Now, I didn't see a gift sitting there. So I knew that I was about to get, something was about to happen. And it wasn't a gift to me per se. And so anyway, she's like, guess what? You're going to be a dad. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? And so anyways, I sat there stone-faced. Everybody's laughing because they can see the, the tear on my face. And we go throughout the day, we eat, and I go back to the office, and I just go to my office, and I just sit there at my desk like this, just nervous, because I'm not good around kids. And I'm sitting there like this, and my pastor comes in, he looks at me, and says, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm not okay. Now, I got used to it. You know, I got comfortable with the idea of being a dad. And then from there, you have all this stuff that you have to do. People have been birthing children for millennia, but now in the 21st century, we came up with lots of different things that you have to do. Like you have to go to class to have a baby. Why? You should go, have to go to class before you decide to have a baby, right? Not after you decide to have a baby. So we go to class to teach us how to have this baby, right? And then they have all these baby showers, right? And you have to go register and get all this stuff that you're never going to use. But people need to feel like they're a part of having this child with you. So you go there. Now, for little, again, millennia, we've been raising children without monitors and weighted blankets and all this other stuff. But see, you can't make money just by doing it the old way. So these people, we're in a consumeristic uh, environment, so we have to come up with all this stuff that we have to have. We have to have the baby monitors. Uh, now you can't just have a baby monitor where you can hear the baby. you got to see the baby. And now you can't just see the baby. The baby needs to see you. And now you need to be able to talk to the baby. I mean, <laughs> we, it's, it's crazy. All the stuff that we are told that we have to have for the babies, right? And then you go to the day when you actually give birth to the baby. Now, I, I didn't give birth to the baby. That was Charity's job. Uh, I was the there though. I was present for this uh, endeavor and there's a lot of screaming, yelling, worrying, and whatever charity was doing over there as well, right? And so (laughs) anyways, there's a lot of stress. Now what's interesting about all of this is that everybody's experience in having children, there's a lot of similarities to that, right? There's this moment you find out you're going to be a parent and then you go through the preparation process And then the day that you hold your child is almost the same for everybody. And everybody, all this, particularly men that I talk to, see, I'm I'm making fun of this a little bit. There's a big difference between men and women when it comes to having babies. The moment that a woman conceives a child, she instantly knows that she's pregnant fairly quickly. She can feel her body changing. She can feel that life growing inside of her. 
For men, we don't have any of those connections. We can see what's going on, and we can put our hand on the belly, and we can feel the baby kick, and we can go to the ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, but there's not that same connection that a woman has with the life that's growing inside of her. And so for men specifically, it has been my observation that a lot of men have the same uh, initial reaction. When they hold their child for the first time, now suddenly this whole thing becomes very, very real for them. And in a moment, uh, they start to understand what the, what the mother has been experiencing for the last nine months, and their life starts to flash before your eyes. You start thinking, what's, what's going to be their favorite food, or what kind of music are they going to like? Are they going to be submissive or rebellious? What will be their profession? Literally, all those thoughts were going through my mind in that delivery room on the day that my son was born. And I'm sure you guys had a lot of the same experiences when you had your children. Now, what's amazing about the Christmas story is that I imagine because Mary and Joseph were people, in a lot of ways, just like you and I, I'm sure they experienced the very same thing on the night that Jesus was born. You see, times have changed. The culture has changed. Technology has definitely changed. However, people are still people. And Mary and Joseph are humans with human emotions. And at the birth of Christ, I'm sure they had the same feelings that every parent has had when their children have been born. Except there's one real big difference with the birth of Jesus and every other child. On the day that I was holding my son in that delivery room, I was not thinking about his last day. I was not thinking about how he was going to die. And yet, with the birth of Christ, it's very evident very early on in his life that he came for one reason, one reason only. That was to die for the sins of humanity. We've been comparing this the last week and now this week where you look at the life of Christ and there was a contrast between his birth and between his death, the whole purpose for which Jesus came was to die. Christmas is an amazing time of the year. However, if we forget that the whole reason why Jesus came was to give his life for us, then we are missing the point of Christmas. And so today we're going to look at how Mary teaches us to respond to the Christmas story. To accomplish this, we're going to look at two scriptures today. We're going to look at Luke chapter number 2, and we're going to look at John chapter number 19. In Luke 2, we're seeing the birth of Jesus and his presentation to God in the temple. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter number 2, and we're going to start in verse number 22. Luke chapter number 2, verse number 22. And here's what the Bible has to say to us. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to pre present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And when it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ, and he came, to, he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and said, 
Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul also so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Wow. So what's going on? We're a few weeks after the birth of Jesus. And according to the Jewish customs, the couple, after they had a child, was to present the firstborn male child in the temple to the Lord. And Mary and Joseph, being faithful and devout followers of the law, presented Jesus to the Lord. Now, the temple is a very interesting place in the history of the Jews because the temple was a place where heaven and earth collided together. And that's the place where God met man. And now, Here we have within the temple, you have God wrapped in flesh in this baby Jesus. Heaven and earth are now colliding in the body of this baby. And at this point, Simeon enters. Now, Simeon is also a devout Jew who apparently had been shown by the Lord that he would not see death until he saw the Messiah, the one who was to save the world from their sins. And one day, Simeon is compelled to go into the temple, and when he enters, he sees the anointing one of Israel, the Christ, the Savior of the world. And so Simeon in joy takes this child up in his arms and he begins to sing praises to God. And Simeon is at the center of the world for the Jews and now he's looking and staring into the face of the Savior of the world. And what must that moment have been like for Mary and Joseph who just over the last several weeks have seen God do amazing thing surrounding the birth of this child. On the night he was born, Angels show up and and shepherds are coming. And now here we are just a few weeks later and they're in Jerusalem and a prophet is singing over their son. To this point, everything has been very peachy, but something very interesting happens because Simeon's praise turns very somber. He starts showing that Jesus is going to cause an upheaval inside of Israel. Not everyone is going to be happy with the arrival of the Messiah. In fact, he looks at Mary and he says, look, this child is going to cause the rising of many and the falling of many, and you better be ready because a sword is going to pierce your heart as well. What must that have been like for Mary to hear? We are in the Christmas narrative and suddenly everything has turned dark. This this beautiful child and all the amazing things that have surrounded his birth have suddenly gotten very serious. And Simeon says, this child is going to be a sign that is opposed. A sword is going to pierce your heart. What must that have been like to hear that from Mary, a mother of Jesus? It was obviously showing us that tribulation was coming to Christ. And Mary better be ready because she was going to have a front row seat to his pain. Have we seen over the course of Jesus's life, especially as we've walked through the book of John, we see that Simeon's prophecy was fulfilled. Jesus came preaching the good news. He came preaching salvation. And yet most people that he encountered opposed what he had to say. Time and time again, the Bible says that they sought to kill him or they sought to arrest him or constrain him. They did not like his message. On the other hand, many people did accept his message. There was many people that found life and healing and hope with inside the word that Christ had. So we see that Simeon's narrative of Jesus's life, his prophecy of Jesus's life was coming to pass and fulfilled throughout the course of Jesus's life. Now, here we are in John chapter number 19, and we see the climax of Simeon's prophecy ultimately come to a head 
And we're going to start reading in chapter 1 of John 19. Excuse me, verse 1 of John 19. And here's what it says. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on the head uh, and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hell, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, this is the religious crowd. See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. So Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. And the chief priests and the officers saw him and they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Skipping down to verse number 12, here's what it says. And then Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat at a place that's called the stone pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of presentation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered them over to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate wrote an inscription and put it on the cross and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the inscription that was placed over Jesus was crucified and that was near the city and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, rather write this man said I'm the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, I have written what I have written. When the soldiers that crucified Jesus took his garments and divided them in four parts, one part for each soldier, so also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven from one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says they divided my garments among them and my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus, where his mother, his mother's sisters, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing there by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all had been finished, said to fulfilled in scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they brought a sponge full of sour wine on a hossip branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the soured wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. When Simeon looked at Mary and said, a sword will pierce your heart also. Do you think she had any idea that 33 years later, she'd be standing at the foot of a cross, watching her son who had just been tortured, mocked, bleed to death, fighting and grasping for life. There's one thing I understand about parenthood. And even though I'm a young parent in the big scheme of life, I've watched parents and parents never stop being parents. It doesn't matter if your kid is six. It doesn't matter if your children are 60. When you're a mother or a father and you see your kids, they are always your kids. So what must this moment have been like for Mary to witness the death of her son? This is the clutch moment for the church's history. 
The cross and the grave are pivotal because without the cross and the grave, then there's no reason to celebrate Christmas. Without the cross and the grave, there is no Christmas. This is the moment that our debt of death was paid and our sins were forgiven. This is why we celebrate. In the West, we put up Christmas trees, and I'm a big fan of Christmas trees. I just think they look nice. I like them. I'm a little bit of a child like that. But if we really wanted to celebrate the coming of Jesus, we would not erect a tree in our house, but rather we'd put up a cross in our home because that is the whole point of Christmas. This is the moment for why Jesus came. Now, there are three things that you see instantly out of this narrative. There's three things that Jesus accomplished at the cross. The first thing I want to show you is this, is that at the cross, Jesus became our suffering servant. You know what's interesting about people is that most people either A, have a hero complex or B, want to, or, or idolize heroes. All of us. How many of you like John Wayne movies? Come on, John Wayne. How many of you are fr- fans of Augustus McRae? Okay, I'm going to find out who my friends are. I got one, two, come on, Augustus McRae. Okay, if you've never watched Lonesome Dove, you are missing out. And if you didn't know that reference, then you need to watch Lonesome Dove a little bit more. The first snowy day when you can't get out of the house, you need to put it on. It's about six hours. You can just cover the most of the day, right? You know, it's a really interesting thing about movies. In almost every movie, somebody is the hero. Somebody is a hero, and they always have the same certain traits. They tend to be really smart. They know how to wit the enemy. They tend to be good-looking. They have all the answers. They know how to handle situations. They're calm, cool, under pressure, and they always save the day. This is why John Wayne movies, all the plots are fairly similar. This is why we like uh, Batman and all the stuff. Why? Because you see a progression of a hero. Now, what's interesting about that is that you might be sitting here today saying, I don't have a desire to have a hero. Except they sell all these movies for a reason, because that story resonates with the heart of human, the human being. We all desire to have a hero. And at the cross, what we see is that Jesus was a true hero, and he was the one that was saving the day. Now, what's interesting about this passage is that Pilate is mocking the Jews in a way in which he is killing Jesus. He's trying to control the scene. So above the cross, he puts an inscription that says King of the Jews, and he puts it in Latin and in Greek and Aramaic because he wants every person who walks by to see that the King of the Jews is on the cross. He's basically saying, look, Israel has a king, and I just killed him. So who do you think's in control? If you're thinking about rebellion, you better not because I'm a man who kills kings. Pilate had no intentions of saving Jesus. He had no intentions of being nice to Jesus. He was simply trying to figure out how to make this situation go away as quickly as possible. And ultimately what it came down to is killing Jesus. And he was going to do it in a way that mocked and ridiculed the Jews. He said, this is your king and I just killed him. I know you don't like him and I know you don't want him alive on earth. That's why you brought him. But I'm, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to use it to my advantage and I'm going to make sure that everybody knows that I am control. Now, here's what we need to see though. Even though he was mocking Jesus, the inscription was still accurate. There was the king of the Jews. And here's what we need to see is that every single one of us need a ruler to deliver us because we are in a bondage that we cannot control. Jake and I did not get together before this message, but what he said on this platform was true. Most of us want to control our environments and we want to control the outcome that we're in. But you know what we can't do? We can't control a lot of things in life. But when you look at kings, kings have ultimate control and they do what they want. We have a king, and he did what he wanted. You know what he did? You know what he wanted to do? That was die for you and for me. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. 
And hell and our king came to die to pay that to set us free. Jesus is the king and he ruled not from a throne, but from a cross. At the cross, he secured our victory. His death satisfied the demands that justice needed. Let me tell you this morning, you need a king and you can trust a king that would be willing to die for you. You know, there's one thing most of us, particularly in the Midwest, we are suspicious of government. We don't like it. Okay, when we see government people come around, we just don't like it. It gives us the heebie-jeebies. It gets cringy around it. We just don't, you know, we're, we're free-spirited by nature. It tends to be the kind of the, 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 the attitude of the American is to be independent. And so we don't want somebody coming around. We don't trust them because we feel like they're always taking from us and never returning anything. Yet when you look at Jesus and his king, we can be trusting to him. Why? Because he's the one that always gave and never took anything from us. Second thing we see on the cross is that Jesus restored what was lost. You know, I'm talking a lot about parents today and probably because Mary and Joseph, and we see the, the account of, of Jesus' birth. What's the most annoying thing that a parent has to go through when they're raising their kids? Hearing their kids constantly say they can't find something. Do I have a witness in the room today? Like they come in and they say, uh, go get your shoes on. I can't find them, right? Well, go back and look again. I can't find it. They walk in there, you know, like they walk in the room. It's not there, you know. You're like, go look a little bit more. So they walk in. This time they take two steps in the room. It's not in here, you know, they walk back out. So you say, go find it. Now they can start to see that you're angry. So they go a third time into the room, right? They walk in there. They're still not looking. I mean, it could be sitting on the floor right in front of them. They're like, Somebody stole my shoes. You're like, yes, that's exactly what happened. A thief was driving down the road and saw our house. They came into the house, picked the lock, walked right by the brand new TV, went into the closet, saw the gun safe in the closet, left that, saw your mother's jewelry there, said, no, I don't want that, walked into your room, found your old stinky shoes, and said, that's what I want. So... I need to see a counselor. Hey, did you see? <laughs> Jake said Santa was there. I need to see Santa. He says Santa does some counseling on the side. Here's what we need to see, though. Obviously, our kids' shoes haven't been stolen. But here's the thing we need to see. Is that there are some things that we have lost. And here's the thing that you need to know. That goes against the grain of a little bit of what we hear in church a lot. The devil didn't always steal everything from you. Sometimes we've lost things by our own actions. Our own sins have caused us to lose some things. And when you look at this passage, you see a progression in the death of Jesus. There's a pattern in this death that every single one of us are going to face multiple times throughout our life. At Jesus' crucifixion, the reason I read this whole passage to you, because I need you to see this, Jesus lost his clothes. You might be unaware of this, but they crucified people naked. You might say, well, that's awkward. Yes, that was the point. It was meant to be humiliating to the victim. And the Bible says that Jesus' clothes were divided up among the soldiers. The last earthly possession that Jesus had was stripped away from him at his death. Jesus lost his relationships at the cross. He looks down at his mother and he says, Mom, I'm not going to be here much longer. John, I need you to take care of my mother for me. And finally, Jesus lost his life because he gave up his spirit. He died. So at the cross, Jesus lost his stuff. 
He lost his relationships and he lost his life. And what do we lose because of sin in our life? Sin that we commit and sin committed against us. We lose our stuff, we lose our relationships, and we lose our spirit. Sin causes all of that in our life. Sins that we commit and sins committed against us. How many addicts are homeless? How many sinners have strained relationships? How many sinners have a loss of spiritual life? The answer is all of us. So what we see is we see Jesus in this moment having a contrast to what sin took from us in the garden. If you compare Jesus to Adam, you see this contrast. When Adam sinned, he had to be clothed by God, and now God is dying on a cross naked. When Adam sinned, he was disgruntled with Eve, and now God is dying on the cross, and he's showing love to those who are closest to him. When Adam sinned, he was pronounced dead, and now God is dying on the cross for man. And so when Jesus lost these three things at his death, he was making a way for restoration restoration for you and I, for everything that sin has taken from us. During this Christmas season, you might feel like you're in a season of loss, but here's what we have to know is that God is the God who restores, and he might not restore in the way that you think that he should. He might not restore in the way that we want him to from time to time, but he is a God who restores. The third thing we see at the cross is that Jesus comforts us by providing for us. Without a doubt, the most powerful narrative in this whole scene is Jesus providing for his mother. In his greatest hour of need, Jesus pushes pause to take care of his mom. Dying, struggling for breath. How hard was it for him to even speak in this moment? We, we don't know, but we can imagine that it was just agonizing for him to even say any words, and yet he needed to take care of his mom. And I think it's very symbolic of how he takes care of all of us. For Jesus had the mental awareness in this moment to remember his mom. It shows just the gravity of he knew exactly what he was doing. And I believe it was symbolic of how Jesus wants to take care of you and for me. I believe the weight of those world's sins was laid upon him. And I truly believe in that moment that your face and my face went through his mind. And here's what we need to know is that we are never alone. Christ is watching over you. And if he went through all this preparation to take care of you, then he is going to provide for you in the hour that you need. That is the Christmas story right here. His birth to his death, Jesus took care of everything because he's our king. He restores what's lost and he provides for us what we need. Now, the sad truth is, is that these amazing things were happening at the cross. At the cross, Jesus was showing he was king. At the cross, Jesus was restoring what was lost. At the cross, he was providing. But we have to go back to what Simeon said. He's going to cause the rising and the falling of many. Peace was being presented to the world. And some people saw that and believed and they were raised. Others saw that and did not believe and they opposed Christ and fell. The most important question for you and for me is which group are you going to be in? You can't be in the middle on this. You're either in the group that is rising or you're in the group that is falling. But you can't be in the middle. Look at all the groups that did fall when they saw Jesus' kingship, when they saw Jesus' provision, when they saw his restoration. Those who fell, the religious leaders. They're literally crying out, crucify him. Crucify him. Why were they wanting to kill him? Because he was claiming to be king. When Pilate said, I'm not going to kill him. I don't find anything fault. What did they say? We have one king but Caesar. I mean, these people are hypocritical to the bone. Listen, religion will cause you to miss Christmas. Religion is ultimately rooted in pride and hypocrisy, and I'm telling you, it will cause you to miss salvation. 
Look who else fell. Pilate, as I said a moment ago, if you read this narrative, it might look like Pilate's trying to protect Jesus. That would be inaccurate. He's just annoyed that he has to deal with him. Pilate is using Jesus to mock the Jews. If Jesus claimed to have any authority, Pilate wanted to make sure that everybody knew he was the only one with authority. And the fact are, a lot of people are just annoyed with Jesus and the Christmas story. So they mock Jesus and they mock the actions and they mock everything that Christianity stands for because just indifferent. Look who else fell. The soldiers, they're there, right there. They crucified Jesus and they see an opportunity to take something, i.e. his clothes, and they could care less about him. But there was one person who received, the same woman who was told that her heart was going to be pierced. See, Simeon didn't say that all would fall. He said that some would fall and some would rise. And Mary was one of those that rose. See, Simeon told Mary that Jesus was going to be pierced and that her heart was going to be pierced. And now here she is and her heart is pierced. And yet what we see is that she also received. She received what Jesus was wanting to do with the cross. I want to be careful to speak for Mary because obviously I've never had a conversation with her. She's long gone. She died after Christ. She's in heaven, walking in heaven. But I can imagine that we could make some assumptions about what she might be thinking. I imagine as she was watching her son die, that she remembered his first cry in the manger. And now she hears him crying out on the cross. I imagine that she remembered how the shepherds came and told about angels singing praises to God. And now she's recounting her son who said that he was a great shepherd dying for the sheep. I imagine that she remembered when the wise men came and brought her baby gifts fit for a king, and now he's on a cross with nothing left with an inscription that says, King of the Jews. I, remember, I imagine she remembered that the angel Gabriel was going to say that this child would bring salvation for all the world, and now she's witnessing this, and it pierces her heart. But while her heart is being broken, she's also accepting the story. And we know that because we find her later on in the book of Acts following the Messiah, the child whom she birthed. So how do we receive Christmas? If Jesus is here to restore to us what we've lost, if he's here to provide for us, if he's here to comfort us, if he's here to do all those things, how do we receive it? I want to show you because Mary teaches us. I want to invite the worship team to come back as I'm closing this out. Mary shows us how to respond to Christ. If you're going to respond to Christ this Christmas, then you have to submit to God's plan. Mary's example throughout Scripture is one of submission. The plan of God in her life was that she was to birth this child and that she was to experience all this stuff. And Mary never tries to negotiate. She never tries to avoid. She never tries to short-circuit or short-change the submission process in her life. Every time that God called Mary, she said yes. She submitted at the cradle, and now she's submitting at the cross. And every facet of being a Christian means that we submit to God's plan in our life. We sang a song a moment ago that strongholds will be broken, bowing to a Savior in every circumstance. But you know what? We can't sing that song and we can't sing that line unless we are ones that are willing to submit to Christ. Our circumstances only submit to Christ when we submit to Christ. You have to understand that God is more concerned about you and your spirit and where you're at in relation to him than he is with the situation that you may be in. 
We see that God always does an internal work before he does an external work within Scripture. God's will for your life is very clear in Scripture, to repent of your old life, to follow Christ, and allow the Holy Spirit to conform you to his image. If Christmas is going to be of any value to you, then you have to start by submitting to Christ. The question that every single one of us can never stop asking ourselves is, how am I submitting to Jesus today? So if Christmas is going to be any value to you, you got to submit to God's plan. The second thing that Mary shows us is, is that you have to carry Christ in your heart. Mary carried Jesus in the womb. She carried him in the cradle. And I imagine she was there holding his body when he died. This might be a small detail, but she took care of him. Now, what's interesting in the Christmas story is that the Bible says over and over again that Mary treasured these things in her heart. What's really interesting is these things that she treasured in her heart ultimately gave fruit in her life. Because as I said a moment ago, we find her following Jesus once he raises from the dead. And the question for this Christmas for you is, what are you carrying? Are you carrying stress? Are you carrying worry? Are you carrying anxiety? Or are you carrying Christ, his word, and his spirit in your heart? Some of us need to lay down some burdens before Jesus. We need to allow him to carry it and sustain it. We're facing things that are heavy in our hearts and our life that we cannot control, but the scripture says that we do not have a spirit of fear and worry and condemnation, but yet we have a spirit of love and power that's placed inside of us by the resurrection of Christ. You're going to respond to Christmas. You're going to have to submit to God's plan. You have to carry Christ's word in your heart. And the last and perhaps the most important thing is you're going to allow your heart to be pierced to. At the end of the day, I cannot imagine how difficult it would have been for Mary to witness everything she saw most savage way that a person could have been killed. It was humiliating to say the least. It was a piercing of her soul. But let me tell you something. Christ is never going to change your life until you allow him to pierce your own heart. To break through the layers, to break through the bondage that you have in your heart, to break through the pain, the callousness, there has to be a breaking through in your heart in order to receive the Christmas story. But here's the thing that I want to leave you with. It is this, is that the Christmas story has happened already. Everything I told you is on the table. His kingship, his provision, his love, his care, his mercy, his grace, all that's on the table. The question is, are you going to allow it to raise you or are you going to allow it to fall you?